are listening to the Traditional Outdoors Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Steve Angel, and before we get started, I want to take a few minutes to share with you information on how you can enter in the first ever Traditional Outdoors Podcast giveaway. Now, following our interview last week with Cameron Mortensen of the Fiberglass Manifesto, Cameron offered to donate a brand new 8-foot 5-weight Eagle Claw Featherlight Fly Rod. Now, if you remember from the podcast, this is the same fly rod that Cameron got started with um, over 20 years ago. So they're still being made. They're a great fly rod and they're still available. Cameron carries them on his website and his store, and he offered one up for, uh, for us to do a giveaway. Now, following his generous offer, I reached out to a few other people I knew and secured a brand new in the box Temple Forks Outfitters uh, TFO C Prism fly reel. It's preloaded with Rio weight forward five weight floating line as well as backing. So basically, this is a new ready to fish outfit that would be enjoyed by both accomplished fly angler as well as someone that's just looking to get started. Now, the rules for the giveaway are posted on the website, and a link to the rules will be included in the show notes for this episode as well. So if you're not sure about something, re-listen to this intro or look for the rules on either the website, or we'll also do announcements on Facebook and Instagram as well. Now, we've tried to keep the rules as simple as possible, but there's a few things we need to do, uh, need you to do, uh, and, and there's a reason behind those, and we'll, we'll talk about those in just a second. So basically, here's what you need to do. First, we need you to leave us a new rating or and review on either iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean. And then after you leave that rating and review, send an email to podcast at traditionaloutdoors.com with notification that you've completed a rating and a review, where the review was entered, whether it be iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean, and the ID associated with that review. Now, this helps us make sure that when we draw a winner, we're sending it to the correct person. So you want to get the uh, the email sent to us as quick as possible because once we get the email, we're going to go verify that that, um, that review was left. We know who left it, and now we've, we've got a name ready to be entered for the drawing. And that's all you really have to do. Now, however, if you'd like to be entered again and get a second uh, entry into the drawing, then you can also like our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash traditional outdoors and then share the content announcement from that Facebook page to your personal Facebook page as well. And include that information uh, in the, the email when you send it to us so that we can go in and uh, look at your page and make sure that you did share the announcement. Okay, and we'll draw the winner on May 14th. Um, the winner will be announced either that day or possibly on the 15th the following day. We'll announce that on social media as well as on the website. And it'll also be announced in an upcoming episode, which would probably be episode 10, which will be released um, on May 20th. Now, a backup winner will also be drawn in the event that the primary winner does not come forward and claim their prize within 14 days. So we're going to wait two full weeks, but you'll want to make sure that you monitor social media, monitor the website, and again, make sure you listen to the podcast on the 20th for that announcement. Because if you don't claim the prize, then after 14 days, we're going to go to the, uh, the backup winner. Okay? All right. Now that we've got that out of the way. I'm excited tonight as I'm joined by my good friend Tom Jurgensen for the podcast, and I'm going to start referring to Tom going forward as my co-host at large. 
Uh, Tom is going to be joining Nick and I from time to time. And in some cases, as is the case tonight, Tom's going to be filling in as my co-host if Nick's just unavailable or uh, unable to join me that night. So Tom's been hanging out uh, on the other end, waiting for me to complete that lengthy intro. So, hey, Tom, how's it going, my friend? Hey, it's going great, Steve. Thanks for inviting me to uh, participate and come on and chat tonight. Appreciate it. Absolutely glad to have you. Been uh, been actually looking forward to to getting you on one of these uh, really ever since we started. So I'm glad it finally worked out. But I know I know you've been you've been kind of busy as 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 I have. So I'm hoping things are are slowing down just a little bit for you. Yeah, I've uh, just wrapped up about a month of pretty serious business travel, and uh, now I've got several weeks to catch up on things around here and. Uh, hopefully unload a tote full of wet hunting gear here before too long. We'll, we'll, we'll circle back on that a little bit. All right. Sounds good. So for, for those that, that, uh, don't know you from, from the podcast, I think Nick's mentioned you once or twice and I probably have as well, but, uh, you and I have, have shared quite a few adventures in a, in a relatively short time. So, um, Mm -hmm. so, you know, I guess I've known you for a while, but for the for the folks out there that uh, are listening that that really don't know who Tom Jurgensen is, I guess um, you know, jump in and and give us a little background of um, uh, I guess going all the way back to to you know, when you were you know, when you were a kid. You know, how'd you get started in in the outdoors and and you know what are your outdoor what are your outdoor passions? Okay, uh, well, so I was, I was born in Montana. I think uh, when the uh, that happens, you're going to end up with outdoors being pretty deeply embedded in your being. Uh, at least I hope so. So we in the seventies, uh, Northwest Montana, uh, started off, uh, fishing, uh, very, very young, uh, got involved with boy scouts as soon as I was able, uh, spent a lot of time outdoors with the family and, and extended family. So, you know, really, earliest memories were out of doors. Um, grew up hunting. Uh, we, we definitely harvested a lot of animals, uh, filled a lot of freezers, ate a lot of, ate a lot of game meat, very involved in, in the outdoors, uh, up through when I graduated high school. And right after that, I, I joined the army. I, I served in the infantry for a, a number of years and, uh, Upon my completion of service, I moved back out to Montana and then Washington State for a little while. So that would have been around the mid-90s. And spent quite a bit of time fly fishing and hunting over a couple years. And then the job career thing brought me to Michigan. And I've been been based out of Michigan for almost 20 years now. Uh, Several of my projects have taken me far and wide. So I spent one year living in Colorado. So I did get uh, a lot of extra fishing in that year, but uh, as a career thing kind of hit a good spot, I've definitely been supplementing back in a lot more hunting and fishing and, and other pursuits. So it's been a pretty blessed life thus far. So when you, uh, when you were growing up, um, did you do a lot of bow hunting back in those days or was it, was it mostly around, around firearms or? 
So, yeah, some really awesome early memories. I, I got a uh, garage sale bare fiberglass longbow. I was probably way too young to, to have one, but uh, by today's standards, and a big old quiver full of arrows. Uh, I don't know, maybe a six or seven. Definitely a, a don't you know, shoot your eye out kid sort of thing. Uh, <laughs> Glad everything worked out well, but so I started shooting bow real young, um, and by the time I took uh, hunter's safety, I think that was like seventh or eighth grade. It was it was done at the school. Uh, talk about the good old days. Um, everybody I knew hunted with rifles. Uh, one friend of mine did uh, stay for the extra days and took the bow hunter's education and bought a bow, and he did hunt with it. So one of my close friends did bow hunt uh, a little bit. I don't remember him ever getting anything with it, but um, no, we we would uh, love shooting. Uh, I loved hand loading. Loved setting up rifles and and seeing what I could what I could do long range with them. Um, and then you know, hunting season was definitely about uh, getting the f- uh, freezer filled. So uh, in those days, you could get a handful of deer tags and an elk tag and a few other things over the counter. And I uh, just punched the ones you could. And, uh, you know, back then the, we'd share the meat around uh, between the families that were participating and uh, heck of a, heck of a neat way to grow up. So, you know, Tom, I, I was sitting here listening. I, I, I've never even asked you this, but um, so, so going back to those days when you, when you were hunting with the, with a rifle, um, Obviously, you you've taken deer because you said deer, but um, elk. Have you ever taken an elk with a rifle? Never have. Okay. No. Uh, so the the trick with elk hunting, at least in my experience, in in those days, or, you know, back then there wasn't that many people in Montana. Um, not like not like now. Uh, opening day comes out and everybody hits the woods, and a lot of places where you hunt elk is pretty far off the path and when somebody gets one it it then turns into packing and so if you don't get one on the first day like one year uh, i drew a tag uh the first day somebody else got an elk uh, a couple days later gave it a day uh of hunting and then a storm broke uh the storm was scheduled to go for like three or four days i had to be back in school i think i was like 13 or 14 at the time. Right. So my, my entire elk season was a few hours on opening day and a few hours, four days later. Like, you know, it, I didn't have a lot of opportunity and once the elk were put up, I mean, that was really what we were there for. So, um, you know, that was the, that was the point of it, you know? Sure. Sure. But, but, but mule deer, you, you, I'm, I'm pretty sure you've taken a, a few of those, right? Uh, never took mule deer. I oh, really? always hold out for the whitetail. Yeah. We, so had some family members that really like to get the, uh, the big mule deer bucks. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, certain I've passed on a lot of mule deer, but I mean, typically the mule deer were farther than I would want to drag them. And, <laughs> uh, they did, in my opinion, this is just me. I didn't think they tasted as good as a whitetail. So Oh, okay. Um, I would always punch my my tags with whitetail. So the area the area that you lived in, or at least the area that you hunted in, those you know, overlapping range for oh, yeah. the two. Yeah, right. 
Okay. Probably, you know, I might have, I might have seen more mule deer than whitetail. Um, certainly a lot of opportunity, but now just for eating, I, this might be controversial, but <laughs> man, I, I sure love whitetail does. They just taste so good. Well, it's not controversial if that's what you prefer to eat. I mean, <laughs> you were the, you were the man behind the trigger. So <laughs> I get yeah. it. You just never know what people are going to say on the internet these days, but, uh, yeah, I make no apologies. Well, good deal. Good deal. And, and, uh, what about, so I, I, what about antelope? Did you, did you hunt antelope with a rifle or no? Um, I went out for antelope, did not get one the year before I was allowed to hunt. So I would have been what, 11. Uh, that was the last big year where, you know, all the families drew all the tags and went out and, um, I think it was five pronghorn max, I think up to two bucks and three antlerless. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, they definitely, we definitely did a, we, we, it was a lot of work on goats that year, a uh, lot to, to hang and skin and, and butcher out. But, um, no, I never, I never shot one with a rifle. Um, man, back then, I think it was like a $5 tag. I bought a tag one year, but then couldn't get to where the pronghorn were. I mean, it was like a 14 hour drive. So, so it's a so, pretty, pretty big commitment to, to chase goats. So basically what you're telling me is you were a Western whitetail hunter, <laughs> which is pretty cool actually. <laughs> so. You know what? I never thought of it that way. And, uh, yeah, looking at the, uh, looking at the scoreboard, I guess that's true. <laughs> that's, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So, you you moved you moved to to Michigan now. When did because um, I mean I I guess I've and and we'll get in a little bit deeper into that in just a minute. But I guess I've known you since um, uh, early 2012, so uh, roughly six years. And you know I I've never heard you mention anything about about hunting with a, a firearm during that time. So. Um, when did you, when did you make the decision to, to basically just pursue game with, uh, with longbow? Let's see. So 2010, I had not, I'd hunted one day since 1997 with a rifle. Wow. Uh, yeah. So 1997 was the, when I got out of the army and was hunting in Montana, mm-hmm. uh, hunted one day in Michigan and just really didn't get it. which is pretty funny now that I think about it. But, uh, yeah. So 2010, uh, I was diagnosed with cancer and I got real lucky. I kind of hit the lottery as far as, you know, the types of cancer that aren't as bad or as scary. So I was fortunate that way. And, um, you know, I kind of started looking at the food I was eating and at the same time, you know, the, what I was missing, in my very busy life that, you know, was really meaningful to me. And I decided that, you know, what I really wanted to do was get back out in the woods more. You know, I've been doing kayaking and fishing and or sorry, canoeing and fishing and other stuff, hiking, but you know, I hadn't really been out. Um, there's something very different about going a field when you're hunting and any other pursuit. And I really missed it. Mm-hmm. And, at the time, I was an engineer, right? My job was super duper technical. Everything was super complicated, and I decided, you know what? If I'm gonna, if I'm gonna go out and 
pursue animals, I'm going to do it with something with no technology and stumbled on trad gang and I was hooked. I mean, from then on, I needed a longbow. Very cool. Very cool. So we both have a, a background uh, of hunting with, you know, more than just the longbow. Um, I was talking to Nick about this a couple of weeks ago and, you know, that's, I grew up hunting with, well, pretty much anything that I could that I could pursue whitetail with, I was I was out there. From I started with started with a bow. Um, uh, soon after, started hunting with a rifle, and then sometime, probably within a few years, I actually purchased a muzzleloader kit and put that together and started hunting with with black powder as well. So, um, at some point, we'll have to. I guess we'll have to sit down and dive a little bit deeper into the the whole weapons discussion because i think there's probably some good some good dialogue there it sounds like we've got some similarities in our in our background there but i want to I, I do want to shift gears just a little bit so um i mentioned that that we met in uh 2012 it was actually i don't remember the exact weekend but i knew no it was in in february um we were both, it was my first trip. I think it was your second trip, but we were hunting um, at the, what was at the time called Hog Heaven, but now it's it's Wild Things um, yep. in South Carolina. And I'm, I'm pretty sure you remember that hunt. Oh, oh yeah, very well. So uh, I guess I'll, 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 I'll kind of jump in here and go first because it's a bit bit humorous that you know back in back in in those days um the gentleman that ran that ran the operation had everybody meet at a little hardware store there in that still called uh wiggins and that's everybody bought their license you know right before they they went and do the hunt and and i remember pulling up to that hardware store and and just going in standing around we was actually waiting um because i had never met anybody including the the gentleman that was running the the operation and and i was i remember looking around going all right so there's there's a few people standing around in here i'm wondering if they're if they're all uh if they're all here to to hunt hogs or not and and over in the in the front corner of the store was this this tall lanky guy <laughs> and I, I think you were looking at like a thermocell or something at the time but uh i said yeah that guy's got to be here hunting hogs and <laughs> walked up and, and struck up a conversation do you remember that mm-hmm. oh yeah yeah, Wiggins Hardware. Yeah, yeah. We chatted about uh, a few different things. A little bit. I surprised. I'm like, wow, you're from Georgia, and like, you know, you've seen a hog before. I'm like, this is good. I'm going to pick this guy's brain. You were the pro. <laughs> yeah, and then I ended up following you pretty much the, the, <laughs> the whole weekend because I I actually never hunted hogs before, and you had so. Um, do you remember who, so I remember that, uh, Jay St. Charles and Ray, uh, Bourbon was there that weekend. And yep. I remember this, the, um, I can't remember his name. You may remember his name. The, the gentleman was there with his, uh, son. It was the, I think it was a state trooper. Yeah. Right? You know, it, it, given his career, we probably don't need to talk too much about exactly who he is, but yeah, yeah it was a father and son Yep, from New England area. Yep. And then there was another guy from North Carolina there, um, and I, again, I can't remember his name, but uh, I just remember that's the the people that were in camp. And I'm trying to remember, did anybody even get a hog that that weekend? Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. A guy from North Carolina. The last morning, it might have been after you left. Uh, he got a just beautiful red hog with black spots. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm, it seems like it was after I left and and I found out about it later. But I, yep. uh, but I know I I actually saw a few hogs. I never I never dropped the string that weekend. But uh, um, I know we spent uh, a good bit of time uh, chatting as we walked because we walked everywhere uh, back back in those early hunts and um, spent a good bit of time talking there and and uh, I don't know just. Uh, I guess I figured out pretty early that um, you were a guy that I could I could I could really spend some time hunting with and, and have a good time. And then, as it turned out, we ended up. Uh, I don't remember if you knew Nick at that time or if you ran into Nick later. <laughs> I, maybe you remember that story, but I don't. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I I knew Nick. I think we should save this conversation for when Nick's on to defend himself. Okay, we <laughs> then that, there's got to be a good story there. So yeah, we'll shelve that one till we can get we can get Nick on. But um, I know that uh, uh, I hit. So in in the in the meantime, um, I, I ran into Nick online. Was was starting up the simply traditional thing, and then come to find out, um, Nick knew you. And then that led to um, the first hunt that we did here in Georgia, um, which again we'll we'll lay, we'll leave that story for another time when Nick's on to defend himself. But we've hunted, um, so we've hunted wild things now. Um, I'm guessing four or five times together, probably. I'd have to sit yeah, down and add it be, up, but it's been quite a few. Uh, four come right off the top of my head for sure, yeah. right? I think there's probably one or two more in there too. And then, yeah, um, great, great, great piece of property. And I'll tell you what, the, the two things I'll remember about the, the first trip that really stand out. And I don't know if I told you this or not, but I mean, I'd, I'd spent months researching and weeks preparing and I had everything perfect. And I've been studying about hogs and their, uh, anatomy and all of this, you know, I, I, I was feeling like, I had a pretty good fix on them as an animal. I was just trying to figure out how to hunt them. And I knew their nose was so good, you know. I stopped at some little gas station off from Highway 3, all the way up there by uh, Gaston, South Carolina. And the nozzle malfunctioned. And it ended up pouring <laughs> gas <laughs> down the side of my car. And when I was trying to, as I was, as I was stopping it, uh, I grabbed the, the the paper towels. I ended up soaking my hands and my clothes in gasoline. And all I can think is that I've ruined my chance on this hunt because there's no way I'd get the smell of gasoline out. And so on that trip, the two things I bought at Wiggins Hardware was a, uh, a little four-inch mill bastard file to sharpen up my broadheads and a bar of lava soap. It was the only soap they had in the store. And I just hoped it would cut through the smell of gasoline. And was that the first hunt or was that the hunt that I was, that was the first with? time? No, no. Oh, okay. you, yeah, you were there. So I, I'd already picked up the soap and the file and I, you're right. I was looking at, um, thermocells because I just bought one. And that was when they went from the twist dial to the slider or vice mm -hmm. versa. Yep. And the Wiggins actually had newer ones than I had with me. And I was contemplating if I should buy a, an extra. And I was like, ah, it's February. It's going to be cold. I probably shouldn't need it. And Now, uh, uh, you, you smelled like gasoline. No, no mosquito was coming near you. Yeah, yeah true, true. <laughs> I actually don't – I honestly don't remember 
I don't remember you smelling like gasoline. So, um, but no, I, I don't guess you ever told me that. <laughs> you you could have played it off that you know you were you were using some kind of special tactic that uh, as long as the as long as the gasoline smell was strong enough, the pigs wouldn't smell the human odor. I'd I'd, I'd have probably bought it at that time. Just not that slick. Yeah. No. So, um, yeah, so we've, uh, I know, so how many, so I know you've, you've killed several, several hogs and, and one of them I really, really wished I'd been there for, but so how many, how many hogs have you killed hunting in South Carolina at this point? You have a number on your head? No, not exactly. Four or five though. More than I, that. Yeah. I don't I think it's, it's 10 yet. I know it's more than that. I, I can I can yeah. remember I can remember several. And you killed what was the so you killed a an absolute monster there a couple of years. Was that been two years ago now? Yeah, that was uh, January. Yeah, January twenty sixteen, if I recall. Um, I don't know. Do we start this story today? Uh, well, um, I, here's so here's what I can tell, and then we can we can yeah we'll save the actual hunting story for another time. But I can just tell okay. you that I was sitting, <laughs> I was sitting in uh, I was I was actually in the bed, had my laptop, my little lap desk up, and was was working, and and I remember the phone rang, and my wife Lori picked up the phone, looked at it, and said, "This has got to be Tom because it's it's Estel." <laughs> And, and I thought, well, that's either really, really good or really, really bad. Mm. And and I just remember you, as soon as you, you answered the phone, I said, wow, this is going to be a good story because you were amped up. And I don't think I've ever, <laughs> I've ever heard you that amped up. So, we're, <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's a good way to leave the listeners hanging on that one because we'll have to come back to that one. That was a, a, a grand animal and uh a long, long pursuit that that took a couple seasons to to come to a close. So, well, we'll 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 definitely leave that and right. and set up. Uh, you can let me know ahead of time about how long it'll you think it'll take you to walk through that that whole story because that is a it is a really good story. Two parter, uh, a two parter. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, then I guess the the next real big adventure. I mean, obviously we've had we've had quite a few hunts because we've hunted we've hunted hogs together in South Carolina. We've hunted hogs together in Georgia. We've hunted whitetails um, in Georgia and Michigan. Um, and I think you've pretty much participated in every uh, every hunt like that. That's kind of been you know a. a, a a, a group hunt that I've been a part of since we met, except the one where Nick went to Cumberland Island and it proceeded oh. to, uh, I mean, we didn't plan it that way, but we actually went to a, a barrier Island to hunt deer and hogs during a, a, a tropical storm. I don't advise it, but, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> other than that, you've, you've pretty much made every one of them. So yeah. let's, yeah, let's the only tag I've ever drawn and not hunted. Cause I, I did, <laughs> oh, I right. did draw that hunt. And that's that was, right. that's the only time I've ever not, not shown up for a hunt, but circumstances well, couldn't handle we, it. We would have loved to have shared in that misery with you. I assure you, <laughs> cause it was bad, <laughs> but you know, that's the, that's the ones you'll remember. You know, you know, we'll, we'll always, <laughs> we'll always remember that hunt, but so let's, let's skip forward a few years, uh, in, in 2016, um, we both set out to do something that I had been wanting to do 
for over 30 years, uh, since I was 15, 16 years old, reading my, my, uh, fur fishing game magazines. Um, and, 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 and in talking to you found out that it was something that you had tried a couple of times, but you, you really wanted to make a, a really strong effort at it. And that was pronghorn antelope. True. Now, do you remember exactly how that came together? Um, if I remember correctly, we were actually in hog camp when that idea sprung to life or am I, am I remember, am I remembering incorrectly? I, I, I was pretty darn persnickety when you told me how long you'd been thinking about hunting pronghorn and that you hadn't done it yet. I started to get pretty pushy with you and I, I, I didn't know if it was going to hurt our friendship or not, but I thought, you know what? Life is too short to think about doing anything that long. Got to get on it. Well, and here's what I'll tell you. If, um, if I could, if I could go back to 16 years old, when I first started dreaming about hunting pronghorn and somebody could have told me, you know what, if you'll wait 34 years, um, you're going to have a, you're going to have the absolute greatest hunting experience. If you'll just wait, I'd, I'd, I'd have gladly waited. And that's literally what it what i think in my mind it turned out it turned out to be so um i do know we i so here's what i do know i do know we started the real planning of that hunt in hog camp in the bunkhouse i do remember that vividly um so we hunted uh in wyoming um kind of in between i guess you'd almost say it was pretty much between casper and glenrock would be a a, Mm -hmm close estimation and we made that a we just made that an adventure (laughs) that 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 whole that whole hunt was an adventure um so day one the hunt for me started on a friday and i left georgia drove to indianapolis um and we got to tell about the so <laughs> we re- rented a rented a car uh it was a, a dodge a dodge caravan because i figured that was going to be the cheapest cheapest way to get all of our gear between the two of us because we we had actually talked about our, our antelope hunt was three days and then we had a full week so we had other possible adventures in the bag so we had all this gear so we <laughs> We I rented this this minivan, dubbed it the Goat Hauler, and and headed to headed to Indianapolis. Yep. Um, picked you up uh, that night, and we we got a good night's sleep. Headed out the next morning, bright and early, and left Indianapolis. And I think we Kearney wasn't it? Wasn't it Kearney, Nebraska? We hit Kearney, Nebraska. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Vis- visited the. Um, was that the, uh, I guess that was the first Cabela's store? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a real interesting one because, you know, you can see like where the original building was and where they added into the parking lot and where they added onto the back and where they turned the warehouse into a showroom. It just kept growing. Like, oh, it's a funny little store. Yeah. Yeah. I remember walking through it. It was like walking through a maze because it was like you, you'd go around what you thought was a, a dead end and you'd look and there's an opening and you go into another section of the store. It was really kind of odd. Mm-hmm. So, Great store though. Oh yeah, absolutely. Great store. Um, I remember picking up a, 
So the, the, the Eastern hunter didn't plan ahead well enough. I ended up buying a, a, a Columbia jacket there because it was already cool having left. And I should state that this was in August. So, you know, it was like 140 degrees when I left my house heading, heading to Indianapolis. So, um, but then we, so we headed into, um, Casper the next, the next morning and we were actually in camp by, I think it was like three, three o'clock that afternoon after, I mm-hmm. uh, I don't remember. We lost count somewhere spotting antelope from the, from the interstate somewhere around 150, I think is where we stopped counting. Um, oh. so yeah, I, mean, I was like a kid in a candy store at that point and hadn't even, hadn't even strung my bow yet. So well, um, and one one thing about that, yeah. If I'm not mistaken, I think you'd already checked off like two or three or maybe four states that you had never been in before uh, along that trip. Was it that many? By the day? probably because um, I I know Nebraska I had never been in, Wyoming I had never been in. Um, it was just the two on the way. I think it was just the two on the way, but we would make up for that later. <laughs> yeah. So we, we, we get into camp. We had a good dinner that night. Can't sleep. I think I might've slept an hour <laughs> that, that whole night. Well, um, and so ahead. I was going to say that so something about the camp, right? So wall tents, cots, sleeping bags, pretty darn hot. But, you know, you talk about like going from sleeping at home in bed or, or, you know, hotel room, you know, air conditioning, whatever. And now you're in this like dusty cracking lips, dry, you know, hot, hot air, um, rattlesnakes. (laughs) That part of the story comes later. (laughs) I know you'll get to it. (laughs) I'll get to it. Uh, but you know, it's not like it's an easy place to just fall asleep. Right. I mean, you hear, you know, if you're used to, sounds of humans and all of a sudden it's just all coyotes and uh, dead silence and boy those those starlit nights i mean when there were just no clouds up um yeah, it could turn from real hot to real cold and yeah so i mean not like small places where you just flop out and sleep i mean it, it was quite the uh quite the different experience you know than than the normal day-to-day life now you could you could definitely hear yourself think. I remember, I remember thinking that first night. You know, the only thing I can hear is the. You could actually hear the wind blowing through the sagebrush. I remember hearing that, and I remember hearing just at times, depending on if the wind was the right direction, you could hear the windmill farm. But that yeah. one, I didn't notice that as much as some of the other people that were in camp did. I believe because I heard a lot of them talking about it. But I remember hearing it once or twice. Man, it's. I wish more people had an opportunity to get away from civilization, just be out in the middle of the sagebrush all alone and really have true darkness and true quiet. You know, we talk about all the places we've hunted and, you know, we've, we've been, we've been some fairly remote places, but not like what this trip had in store for us. Oh no, no. And we weren't, to be honest, we, we, we weren't remote yet. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we would, but on day one, you thought you were. Uh, on day one, I must admit, I I did think I was. You I mean you like you said you couldn't? You know, you didn't hear any any uh, trucks, automobile. The only the only vehicles I heard the whole time I was in camp was the you know the ones that the 
um, the people there in camp were driving our own. So yeah, it was, it was definitely a, um, a new experience, but that's not what kept me awake. What kept me awake was knowing that, you know, I think we had said that, uh, that day when we drove in, do you remember that one really nice antelope buck that we saw that was, um, laying in the shade? He had actually found a little pocket of shade that the windmill was creating right there on the side of the road. (laughs) Um, and he was a, he was a nice buck. That was a good buck. <laughs> and, then, and, and then we had that, that other buck that kept hanging around camp um, mm-hmm. that you, we, would, we would see in the afternoons uh, just, just outside of the, the uh, little building where they, they had our meals. So, yeah, it was yeah, that. It wasn't a big one, but, uh, yeah, he was sure, sure pretty. He was he was a big one to me at the time. <laughs> so, uh, so the the next morning we we get up. I remember our uh, Cody um, who carried us out to our our blinds. I remember he was asking us if we'd if we'd ever hunted antelope, and you said you had, and I said I had not. Um, and he dropped he dropped you off first. Yeah, he dropped me off at a spot that was going to be a. Uh a little water hole. And if you remember, I think, is that the one that, uh, as we pulled up, we chased the badger out of, that is the one we chased the badger out of. Yes. Yeah. Yep. So hadn't seen one of those in a few years. That was kind of cool. Um, <laughs> they don't, they look like they're rolling along the ground instead of running. It's kind of funny to watch them. Well, and all I could think was, I mean, it looked like he was leaving out of the blind the way it looked to me as we were pulling up. I'm like, I don't know if I want to get in a blind that some badger might have claimed for home. But uh, jump out, climb in. I'm like, I think I'm good. And uh, I started working with my bow. I watched you guys drive away. And I was like trying to move my seat. And every time I you know, I was doing kind of some draws, you know, just making sure that I had limb clearance and I kept either scraping the nylon or bumping the frame of the hub. And so I put the message back out to Cody and said, you know, 66 inch longbow is too long for this, you know, need to ask for someplace else. And at that time, I think he was already putting you out to your spot. And, and I didn't even, I didn't even know. I do remember looking at that blind and thinking, that looks like it's going to be tight. I mean, you know, 66 inch longbow and a 64 inch blind crossed my mind. But, um, so I did not know that he went back and moved you. Um, and, and he, he dropped me off. So I'll, and I'll tell this and then I'll, I'll, I'll come back to you and let you go into your, your morning hunt that first morning. But so Cody, Cody drops me off. Um, and I had, I had my bow, I had, uh, uh, I'd carried my own, um, uh, chair for the blind out of I mean, we were hunting blinds over water holes for for anyone that hasn't already figured that out. Um, so I had my blind, I had my bow, I had um my my DS, DSLR camera, I had a tripod, I had all this way more stuff than I needed. But I waiting thirty some years, I was I was planning on capturing capturing every moment I could. Right. <laughs> so I remember. I set I, the first thing I did is I opened the, the the door in the blind because I had a mine was a permanent blind instead of a pop up and I looked and shined my flashlight because at that point it was still not pitch dark but it was still pretty dark shined my light around made sure there was no rattlesnakes or badgers in my blind um, and then I walked out and I said you know what I'm just going to kind of get a rough 
um, distance. So I stepped off the distance, uh, what I thought would be the furthest shot I could, I could take just so I'd have it committed to memory. Cause, uh, you know, the same thing you were saying with the, the, you know, it, it's quiet. You're in a, you're not in Kansas anymore, uh, Toto kind of thing, but it's also, there's, there's no, there's no reference points. There's no trees. There's, there's nothing, you know, and, and one sagebrush looks like another. And, uh, I just knew if I didn't commit to memory where, you know, where that, that furthest shot, and I think I stepped it off was like 24 yards and I'd been practicing, you know, 25. I said, okay, I know I can shoot that far. And, um, so I, I, I do all of this. I come back and I'm sitting here and I'm going, you know, I'm looking out across the prairie and I'm thinking I can see for miles. And I mean, you know, to one, to one uh, direction, I can actually see the Rockies. And if I'm looking the other direction, it's just flat. And as basically to the horizon, all I can see is flat. And I'm like, it's going to be three hours before I see any animal here. I mean, I, I, I can see everywhere. So I'm in no hurry. I'm taking my time. I get, you know, I set my stuff in my, in my blind, I climb in and then I start getting all my other stuff together. And it must've been maybe 10 minutes, you know, 10 minutes in a blind or in a stand, anything seems like an hour. It was probably 10 minutes. I heard noise and, and I look out the blind and there's, there's two antelopes standing right out. They were both <laughs> doe, uh, doe and a, a yearling. And I'm like, where the hell, where did they come from? I, I mean, I just 10 minutes ago, I looked everywhere. So I was just in, in, in awe. So, uh, I quickly got the rest of my gear set up and ready to go so that I could commence my hunt. And with that, I'm going to come back to, so Cody goes back and gets you and then carries you out to your blind. Yep. So it didn't take him too long. Uh, picked me up and he's like, yeah, I wasn't sure if that was going to be too small or not. I was really trusting you to gauge it. I've got a great spot. We'll just go out there. Uh, so we bounce across the uh, prairie. And you know, what you said can't, can't be understated, right? When you're out in sagebrush, there's no reference point. Like, I think, I think you know, our bows are an advantage just because we're so used to having to be so close to things. Like if I had to pick between a 40-yard pen and a 50-yard pen and a 60-yard pen out in the sagebrush, I don't, I don't know if I could. Um, but pack up and head out and another permanent blind, uh, quite large. It's probably 10 feet in diameter, uh, maybe, I don't know, 12, 15 feet tall. It's basically like a, I don't know. It's like, I don't know how to describe it. it it's kind of like a water tank, but all shooting lane cut into it. Um, so I climb in, sit down. And I look out and the truck is literally still like right next to me. And I can see all these pronghorn walking in, you know, like they're, they're two, 300, you know, 400 yards away, right. but it's like just another day on the prairie for them. Right. I mean, there's always ranch trucks bouncing around and, uh, they start seeing group after group after group start coming in. And, uh, you know, I mean, here's, three pronghorn and then they go and walk off a little bit and then six more come in and then a coyote ran in and I got some great pictures of a coyote coming in to drink and everything kind of being like aware, but not really worried about it. And there was like a little feigning going on between this doe and this coyote. 
it's kind of cool. Uh, they're kind of just watching each other. And uh, Coyote trotted off. Uh, didn't go too awful far, but it took off. And then some more, more pronghorn came in. And after these things drank, they would, uh, this is something I hadn't experienced in my previous years of hunting pronghorn. Um, but they'd, you know, back off somewhere between 50 and a hundred yards and bed up. So, I mean, as I've got a hundred, 120, maybe 150 animals that have come in over the course of the morning, they all just back up a little bit and bed down and they're all just laid out across the prairie, like they're sunning themselves or something. I, I don't know, but, uh, I don't know. There were a few I was tempted by quite a few of the bucks weren't quite what I was hoping for first morning of the hunt. You know, I didn't want to, didn't want to shoot the very first thing I had an opportunity with, even in spite of a couple years of getting skunked ahead of this, just felt like everything was going to be right. And then all of a sudden it stopped. No new pronghorn were coming in. And all the pronghorn were all just like laying there, not moving, right? It had been a couple hours at this point, pushing 10 o'clock. And uh, I'm like, okay, well, if, if we've hit the stall, right, the, 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 the midday uh, downtime, maybe, maybe this is the time to eat some beef jerky, have a sandwich, drink a bottle of water, you know, get ready for the real hot part of the sit. You know, because in my previous year, something we we didn't talk about was had two four-day hunts, two years in a row, over 100 degrees, all eight of those days hunting. And there might have been an exception, but I think every day it was in the blinds before sun up and then staying till sundown. And August 15th, that's getting in at you know, 4.30 in the morning and staying until 9 o'clock at night. I mean, it's just brutal, long, hot, which is what I was kind of expecting, right? 10 o'clock. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking a minute for the long haul. I look up, and there's just nothing but fur in front of that window. <laughs> and I look, and it's it's horns. There's, there's some real good horns on it. Uh, the setup was the blind was um, set next to the pump. The pump poured water into um, basically a large trough that cattle would typically drink from. Right. And then on the low side of the trough, there was a little spillage that would go down into a, a natural pan, which normally pronghorn feel much more comfortable drinking out of mud puddles rather than water troughs. Well, I look up, and there's nothing but hair, right? I Sure enough, there's this great buck, and uh, the story is told different ways, <laughs> depending if it's me or Steve telling it. But I'm telling you, it was at least a full four yards. <laughs> counting, counting the inside of the blind or no? Count, counting the two inside the blind, that would be a full four <laughs> yards. So, yeah, I looked. It was just the perfect shot. Uh, I took it. I just remember Tom telling uh, you told me. Uh, I, I know it was the same Tom. I remember something being said about there was a there was a consideration in your mind that you were worried the arrow would not get clear of the bow before it <laughs> before it hit the animal. So. <laughs> it felt real close. 
And, I mean, and, I, I guess like four yards is really close, right? It, I mean, it's very close, uh, even even in that situation. Um, so uh, before before I go back to to my morning hunt, what what time? Do you remember what time it was that you shot? So here's what I remember. I decided I was going to shoot. I pulled the arrow back and I let her let her fly. And I remember this feeling like after all these years, like I finally pulled my string back on a pronghorn. Like this was worth the trip. Like this, because at one point I'd sworn off pronghorn hunting. It's like, oh, you just go out there and you sweat for, you know, 16 hours and you do that four days in a row and then you get to go home and take a shower. But when you talked about, you know, your, your journey, I'm like, nope. You know what, Steve, if you're going to hunt pronghorn, I'm going to go with you. I thought, you know, okay, that was it. I finally made it to that point where there's this, this buck right in front of me and I shot and, uh, I was kind of so set back by this situation that it dawned on me, like, I better go look and see what trail it took out on. And I stuck my head out of the blind and there's, <laughs> <laughs> I would give anything to have been sitting on top of one of those little knolls watching this take place. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I look and all these pronghorn all around this water pan are all looking at this one buck that's standing there 50 yards away with wobbly knees. Like what's wrong with that guy? And I'm just sitting there like that must be the one that was just here. And then it fell over right there on its tracks. And I'm like, all right, perfect. You know? And, and the one thing Cody said is, you know, let me know when you have taken a shot. And I'm like, this is my day, right? Tom's day. I send the, I send the message over to Cody and he, he replies back and just says, sorry tracking be there when i can be there soon that's what he said be there so, soon so i think uh and i'll i'll kind of outlay how my morning went but i i think if my memory and i've got it written in my journal but if my memory's correct we literally shot our bucks and we were a, a little over a mile apart line of sight which we didn't know it's time we i found out later by looking at because I ended up hunting that blind the last day for my doe. But, mm -hmm. uh, so I had GPS coordinates for both and that's how I knew how far apart they were. But anyway, um, I want to say it was like 12 or 15 minutes difference. I, without going back and looking, I can't remember if you shot first or if I shot first, but it was literally within, you know, 15 minutes of each other that, that we shot. So, um, but I do remember when, when, uh, Cody telling me after we, after we had mine, um, he said, I've got to go, uh, I've got to go get Tom's. I'll be, I'll be back. <laughs> this is all he said. Um, so my story is similar, but, <laughs> but different. Um, <laughs> so after my, my first encounter, I really started watching it, my surroundings a lot closer. And what I found out was I was actually if you can be in a depression or in a bowl in the prairie, that's kind of what I was, I was in. It wasn't that I was in a low, I wasn't necessarily in a low place, but there were these little fingers all around me that kind of created almost like a bowl that I was in. Um, 
<clears throat> and the, the, the blind that I was hunting had little slits all the way around it. So I, I basically just set up a, a sequence where I would slowly look out each little hole that I could with my binoculars and scan and work my way around. And by the time I got back where I started, it was time to start over again. So, um, things I remember that morning, I remember as soon and it was cool when we went out, but within seconds of the sun breaking the horizon, I remember hearing the, the tin, um, that made up that blind start popping and creaking as it was expanded from the heat and it got hot really quick. Um, I remember I had a few bucks. In fact, I took some pictures of some bucks and several people said, you know, you, you, you got nerves of steel if you passed on those. And it was probably the hardest thing I'd, I'd ever done. And what I'll admit now is it wasn't so much that I was necessarily looking for a bigger buck. I didn't want to, I wanted the experience to last a little bit longer. So I did pass on a couple of, of decent, decent bucks that morning. Um, and I want to say it was somewhere around 1030 quarter till 11. Uh, I was making my little circuit around the blind and I looked out, um, to my Northwest, uh, if I remember correctly, and I saw this this buck, um, and he was standing out about 150 yards and just staring intently at, at the water hole where I was at. <clears throat> and um, I put my, my got my binoculars on him, and as soon as I saw him, I said, "If he gives me a if he if he gives me a shot, I'm gonna take it." Um, real, you know, mass a lot of mass at the at the bases, um, white ivory tips. I mean, nice cutters. He was just a he was just a really good antelope. And even as a, a novice, someone who'd never hunted him before, as soon as I saw him, I was like, this is a really good buck. Um, he stood, he must've stood there for, I don't know, at least 10 minutes, literally. Um, all the does that was with him came in to drink and he stood there staring. And when he, <clears throat> uh, as I was going back and forth, looking at the does that were actually drinking I went back to look for him and he was gone and it took me a little while to find him. But when he finally decided to commit, he was on a, a pretty much a dead run, um, coming to the water hole. And I'm thinking, now, obviously at that time, I didn't know the experience you had just had. And there was a, if you looked out the, the, the shooting hole of my blind, you could see where a lot of antelope were coming up right to the edge of the, the, uh, water hole and, and drinking. And I'm thinking, man, if he'll just, if he'll just come up right there, not knowing that that was the experience Tom had had. And there was no way that I was going to get that lucky. Um, <laughs> so, so my buck comes in and literally that where I had stepped off earlier that morning was a good thing because he literally came to the drinking hole at the furthest point that he could. Um, and it initially he was actually facing towards me. So there was nothing I could do, but watch him. Um, and there was some other does that came in and he was kind of milling around and he finally turned broadside and I thought I've got to wait until, you know, he's drinking. I want to wait till his, his nose is, is in the water. I felt like that was my, you know, my chances were better because I had that little bit extra distance cause it was right at 24 yards. And I remember coming to full draw. I remember picking out the spot at the back of his shoulder that I wanted to hit. And I remember seeing my arrow on the way. 
And it was like, as soon as that arrow was halfway to the antelope, the only thing I can figure is I've played this back a hundred times in my head since then is somehow he caught the echo of that noise coming out of the blind from me shooting because he spun towards me and I've never had an animal do that, but he spun into the shot. And as soon as the, as so, this is all happening in my head at, <clears throat> at, at light speed. Right. I remember the last thing Cody was telling us that morning was whatever you do, don't shoot him in the shoulder. And with him turning, that's exactly where my arrow was going. And it struck, and it was one of the few times in my life that I literally felt bad for the animal because it hit him square in the shoulder and just made a, a sickening crack, which later, and you know this, you were you were there, we found out that it basically broke, it split the, the uh, left side clavicle from the knuckle up to the top of the shoulder. Um, what I'd later find out, it actually broke the off shoulder and all but still passed through. Um, but he turned, ran straight away from me about a hundred yards. And I, I, I watched him, uh, I go down or lay down and I thought, well, he'll stay there. And then this other buck started pushing him and he actually got up and circled back around almost back to, um, the, the blind again. He was maybe 50 yards to the left of my blind. But anyway, so it was a, a fairly quick recovery, and both of us had our, our first pronghorns on the on the same hunt and on the ground, and we didn't know it again at the time, but within, I guess, 15 minutes of each other, we'd both shot um, what turned out to be really nice, um, actually uh, Pope and Young quality animals. I know I've had mine scored. I don't think you've had your scores yet, have you? I'm still waiting for a taxidermist, so it'll happen eventually. Uh, the funniest thing is I totally forgot what the green score was. I remember it was good. It but, was, uh, I want to say your green score was something like 74 and change. Um, and I think mine was 73 and change and it lost, it lost a little, it didn't lose much. Um, I think it's still 72. I can't remember the exact score now, but it was a nice, it was a nice antelope. You know, the, the funny thing for me is in camp when the, the tape measure came out, because, of course, the, the guide associations and everybody everybody wants to know how many inches an animal is. Um, we were being pretty exciting. And since then, I really haven't cared at all. You know, I think about the, the memories of the days going up and the days after. And I, I think about that day in particular and yeah, that that's the one part that matters the least, you know, had to share a lot of these stories with a lot of people, you know, cooking up the, the pronghorn meat and sharing that with friends and, and the stories that we have, we, we haven't even scratched the surface. You know, we, we have, we, you, you left a teaser about rattlesnakes. We, we talked a little about the goat holler. We haven't talked about the, the road. We, I mean, there's so much we haven't chatted, you know, talked about it all. And, uh, and it was all just a few days, but well, I tell 34 you, I, years in the making, apparently. Yeah, it, it, it really was. And I tell you what, um, 
that's that's actually probably a good a good uh, uh, exit. So I, I really thought we would get a little bit more into that, but um, you know we've got we've got two really nice Pope and Young pronghorns on the ground now. We we kind of carried carried everybody up to that point. Um, you know, let's uh, let's leave this one at that, and um, we'll come back and. Uh, we'll get on the, we'll get on a, uh, another one of these and, and we'll finish out that story and maybe, maybe we can dive into a, a little bit more about, uh, uh, our future plans that we, we have, uh, coming up here in a, in a few months heading back to Wyoming. What do you think? That sounds great. Let's do it. All right, Tom. Well, I sure do appreciate you, uh, you taking time out of your busy schedule to join me. And with that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call this one a wrap. So I will, I will catch up with you soon, sir. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. Well, folks, that'll just about put the wrap on episode number eight. We sure do appreciate you listening, and we hope you're enjoying Tom and I's discussion about um, Wyoming and our, our trip for antelope back in 2016. We're going to pick this discussion up next week, so don't miss it. We've got uh, a good bit of the adventure left, and I'm sure we'll probably spend a little bit of time talking about our return to Wyoming this fall in 2018 uh, for mule deer on public land, a do-it-yourself hunt. So uh, we're excited about that, and I'm pretty sure we'll get into that a little bit next week. Uh, also, don't forget, get entered for the um, drawing for the five-weight fly rod and reel combo that we're giving away that drawing is scheduled for the 14th of may so uh re-listen to this pod this episode for the um, intro notes about the rules or you can visit the website at www.traditionaloutdoors.com and we wish you all the best of luck so until the next time i invite everyone to get out there and enjoy our great outdoors and if you can as always take a kid along be safe be responsible And be sure to set a good example for your fellow outdoors men and women. So long, everyone.